right, so this is Todd Atkinson. This is going to be Season 2, Episode 13, which I did with Rolly Delgado. And uh, Rolly's one of the original um, jiu-jitsu guys, MMA guys, back from the NHB era. And, uh, you know, he was one of the guys that was around uh, back in the submission fighting, mixedmartialarts.com uh, forum days. So a lot of us that are around then uh, still remember each other. And uh, doing a show with him kind of fit in with my theme of, uh, you know, featuring some of the guys that were kind of pioneers in the original sense. And uh, so we talked today about, you know, he was one of the first jiu-jitsu guys in Arkansas. And uh, he has a couple fighters in the UFC, uh, one of them being Bryce Mitchell, who's, uh, I believe, 13 or 14 and 0 and has been very successful thus far. Uh, so we kind of talked about that as well as uh, another fighter who had T.J. Brown. And uh, we also talked about uh, some Arkansas jiu-jitsu history and kind of his gym, uh, Westside MMA, and just some of his thoughts on what he's seeing in mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu today. So this is uh, Roly Delgado, and uh, thanks for checking it out. Roly, what's up? How you doing, man? Good. Let me see. My, my screen seems a little hazy. Let me try to... Is it the, the sun behind me, maybe? Yeah, probably. That, that's what it is. Yeah. The sun is going to set there. Let me think. I'm just going to go up to uh, my loft. All right, no problem. I can't really live in a cabin in the woods. It's kind of tight. Yeah, man, I saw that. It's nice, you know? Like... Yeah, thanks, man. I, I, I love it, but uh, it does come with sacrifices. Um, the... I can't sit on the bed because the light coming in is messing with the video, so I'm going to go to the loft. Um, Arkansas has some pretty sweet cabins, man. Yeah, yeah, mine's pretty dope. It's small, so I was able to build it um, with really nice finishes because, um, you know, like, why not use cedar for the ceiling if it's not that much cedar, you know? Right, right, right. So that's kind of what I did. So yeah, I was. Uh, uh, um, you'll have to have my my uh, longtime coach uh, on sometime, Matt Hamilton. Yeah, He's I remember him. The pink singlet. Yeah, the pink singlet, man. Yeah, <laughs> we go. We go way back, man. I mean, we uh, were. Uh, yeah, we're still business partners and um, involved in a few different projects together and stuff. He's. Uh, He's one of the old ones, man. One of the, you know, like I'm old school, but he was in it before me, so he was the like really, you know, the I guess you would call like the Eric Paulsons and stuff, like the first generation. I think Matt would be like the second generation, and I would be probably the third generation of. Yeah, I was at his fights in Super Brawl. Oh yeah, 1999. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like back in the day, his like little ass had to fight, you know, like Ryan Bow and like some some you know he was fighting at fifty five and he finished right. his career at like twenty five. So, pretty common story. Those so guys. maybe like people, I always kind of start when I'm talking to people from like our era, NHB era. Like people, if there's people out there who don't know you, kind of like introduce yourself as far as. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I've been doing MMA since. Uh, 1998 and uh training out of arkansas i trained with 
Matt Hamilton. Um, at the time, we were training out of a guy named Danny Drinks Gym and uh, just kind of came up traveling all over uh, the continental U.S. training. Ended up getting lucky and getting on to the Ultimate Fighter. So I had a few fights in the UFC. I did an undercard fight for Bellator. Um, so uh, kind of just fought kind of all the different levels of MMA and got out before it was totally dominated by athletes, kind of like it is now. So it was a good time for a unathletic guy like me to, to showcase what jiu-jitsu and, and good training could do. I beat a lot of guys that were much better built than I was, much more athletic. And uh, that that's what the landscape was at the time. And uh, it was it was a fun journey. But, you know, coming up in Arkansas, which wasn't really maybe one a hotbed for the, for the game at that time, maybe talk about that. Oh, it was tough, man. one of the man. first guys. Yeah, um, we just didn't have a clue. And we're, we didn't have wrestling at the time, so we didn't know how to cut weight at all. We just dieted in the beginning. We literally didn't go to saunas. We would just starve ourselves, and then we'd go fight guys. And uh, uh, Matt uh, really, uh, you know, he was fighting already when I started training with him. And so, you know, I just kind of piggybacked off him, and uh, we would just trap. The, the, the trap for us, Todd, was we were the big dogs in Arkansas because we were actually training, you know, uh, MMA, NHB. Um, and so it was a, it was tough when you'd go other places where they had better competition close. They were doing more tournaments and stuff. And that, that really slowed me down and, uh, and, and, and Matt as well in our development. Um, we were light years ahead of most people around us, but, um, it was tough. It was definitely an uphill battle to, uh, like I remember fighting in North Dakota when I, I was barely a pro and, um, there were like Tony Ferguson and um, uh, Bob Cook and like all these guys on the van with us. And like they were, they had access to much more in depth training than we did at the time. So co- coming out uh, coming out of Arkansas really really was tough. Now with the internet, um, we've been able to build. You know, we we've been able to catch up and, and do our thing. And um, obviously we have fighters in the UFC now, and I've trained uh, you know like a world champion in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at a black belt level. So we've We've caught up, but those early days, we didn't know what we didn't know, and it was tough. So, <clears throat> when did you feel like, because uh, I know you have like your own school now, when did you feel like you were ready to kind of um, transfer into that or pass into that, so to speak? It, it was after I got back from the Ultimate Fighter that things started. Uh, I mean, we always had good fighters, and and we we always did well. I don't I don't mean to say that we were lackluster, but we you know we don't we never compared ourselves like at a local level. We always compared ourselves at a national level, um, and the the UFC was a big eye opening experience for me. Um, winning a lot of fights at the regional level, and then fighting people that were coming from really well established gyms. Um, after the ultimate fighter really started and Matt and I both really started honing in on our boxing. And I, uh, you know, we, we, we had Aaron Fisher who was, who's an American that lived in Thailand. We helped us with our Thai clinch and our Thai boxing and, and, you know, sort of linking up with different people and really, 
really taken off where now um you know we have really good fighters out of here and they can still like I, like my fighters cross train uh, a lot and go to other camps and stuff and, and they're they do fantastic when they cross train and they learn a lot and they also have things that come from us that uh we do really well as well so um yeah like after the ultimate fighter i think that's when like shortly after that we kind of tidied up some things and and now i feel like it's um you know west side mma is the gym that matt and i run and it truly like we can we can truly take somebody and and get them to a ufc level and be very very competitive um at this point but i mean you were kind of known for jujitsu that was kind of your forte mm-hmm. maybe i would say there were you felt you were strongest and people identified you with um what do you think of what you're seeing now as opposed to back then? Uh, yeah, you know, there, there's there's patterns. Uh, you know, you have, the, like, you have different eras, right? You know, jiu-jitsu had its era, and then the sprawl and brawl era, you know, um, w- was a thing for a while. And now we've got the anti-jiu-jitsu era where people are fighting to get back up, and we're, we're basically watching kickboxing matches because – the, the nature of five-minute rounds and stand-ups, the energy output for a takedown, most fighters just aren't willing to, to, to invest in the takedowns to get the fight to the ground. Um, and and the, the level of wrestling and folk-style wrestling, of getting back to your feet and cage walking, um, now what we're seeing is uh, athletes um, staying on their feet, and they're, and they're using the cage a lot more. They're 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 bouncing all over the cage. They're engaging and disengaging, um, not staying in the pocket, not spending a lot of time in the clinch. Definitely not spending much time on the ground. So uh, it's definitely not the golden era, um, and it gets kind of boring sometimes. Same with jujitsu. We're seeing a lot of like double butt scooting, and you know you're not seeing a progression of positions. You're seeing a lot of leg entanglements and things that uh, aren't really as fan friendly. Um, like a Dominic Cruz, for example, I'm a huge, I wouldn't say a huge fan, but I, I have so much respect for his game, but like some people love him, but a lot of people watch that and it's like too much. It's like, you know, just sit on a punch, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I mean, he just looked great in his last fight, by the way. But um, yeah, to, what we're seeing now, it's just, it's just more of the athletes, people, a real level playing field. You have your outliers, you know, you have your Bryce Mitchells, Damian Maya is, is, you know, getting older now, but he, he had his time in the, you know, you had the Hadolfo Vieiras, you know, you have these guys that'll pop up and show what happens if a high level jujitsu guy gets another guy down. But, um, the majority of the people are just kind of all doing the same things now. You know, you can look at like, you find a seven or no, eight and two fighter from wherever name a gym you know and it's a 24 year old looking kid from iowa or nebraska or missouri and they all fight the same they got pretty good hands they have good takedown defense they get back up when they're taken down and the fights are are um not spectacular why do you think uh everybody struggled to deal with gordon ryan so to speak you know, as a jiu-jitsu guy watching that, you know, grappling in general. Uh, I think it's a, a perfect storm of an, an, a very impressive athlete with a ton of aptitude focusing on 
Noki, much like Eddie Bravo and those guys did, um, with an amazing coach in John Danaher. And uh, I think it's a perfect storm. You know, you take an athlete, and other people have done this, what he's doing. Um, you know, Hidolfo had his time in the, in the, uh, at the top, and uh, Bouchesha before him had his time at the top. And then you had guys like Hoyler Gracie who were undefeated for like six years. Um, other people have done it, but uh, Gordon, I think Gordon, it's like, you know, there's, there's no magic pill. He has a ton of aptitude. Um, he gained weight. You know, he was much smaller. You know, but he's a heavyweight that's that's all muscle. There's no wasted meat on him. And he has an amazing coach in John Danaher, an amazing full-time training regimen. He's not he's not doing gi and no gi. And, and I just, you know, he's a he's a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. He's, he's quite impressive. Um, I, th- I think that's what it is, man. Nothing, no, no magic touch or anything. A great coach, full-time dedication, and uh, a ton of aptitude. But he's kind of unique, and you know, maybe like Marcelo was, to where he's submitting almost all the people he faces. You know, yeah, where you aren't that's really true. seeing that with the other athletes. That's that's absolutely true. He is, um, yeah. I, I, he deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, it's like some wrestlers are winning all the time, and other wrestlers are pinning. And uh, he is submitting people, and he's calling his submissions now. You know, he, he these submissions he's calling, he's he's got a huge size advantage over these guys, and it's a thirty minute match, so that's helping him. He's not using the whole thirty minutes, and I, I'm in no way gonna belittle what he's doing, but you know, calling your submissions, but he's he's got a huge size advantage on some of these guys. Now, when the other guys step up and actually fight him, if he can call a submission against Philly Pena, you know, who who, who you know he, he I'm sure wants to get paid to avenge, you know, to to fight him. Um, that will be like something, but um, he, he's he's amazing and he has great marketing, you know. And you know, and he wins at IBJJF tournaments, um, but he typically does you know control the rule set as well. It's kind of like the Graces back in the day, you know. He's competing in his rule set, but make no mistake about it, I believe he's the best pound for pound grappler in the world. And uh, um, there's nothing else to say. I, I'm 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 a fan. But we've seen these leg entanglements continue to to thrive. Why are people not able to figure it out? I mean, because these techniques have been around for a long time. I, I think people are figuring it out. Um, yeah, I, I think people are. I mean, he's, uh, you, you know, you have, it's, it's a great submission. But, you, you know, there's a lot of matches now where you're seeing these guys, you know, get in the leg entanglements and the guys are escaping them and they're defending them and they're turning the heel towards the ribs. And, you know, Felipe Pena, for example, he, he shut down Gord's leg entanglements and then took his back from them. Um, I'm pretty sure if Gord fights him again, he won't attack the legs. Uh, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll put the energy in, a, in the passing. So at the highest level, I think we're starting to see that. Uh, uh, pe- I, I do believe people are, are figuring it out. Um and then at the lower levels, yeah, I think it's cultural. You know, if your coach never really did leg locks, then, you know, people coach, people teach what they're good at. And so if, you know, generationally, like, you have your outliers that are learning from YouTube and DVD sets and uh, digital downloads, and, and they're learning it outside of their academies. But majority of people are learning their jiu-jitsu from their instructor, and their instructor didn't come up in that era. So you need these, like, new school black belts 
to have their own students so that you can have like everybody kind of very aware of basic heel hook defense and, and strategy. Now, obviously, Bryce Mitchell, he's having a lot of success in the UFC. When, when did when did you first meet this guy? Oh, I don't know. Um, Bryce started training with another old school uh, uh, MMA fighter named William McLaughlin, and he came up in the era just right. He started training maybe shortly after I did, and he's he's one of my best friends um, at Black Belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And uh, he... Uh, we were always together, and so Bryce was a student of his, and Bryce was always cross-training with us. And I, I don't know when that was, maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, he'd come in the gym and uh, cross-train. And, and, and since then, he's he's transitioned over here full-time. His coach moved, and uh, there were some changes, um, you know, for him training-wise. But, uh, yeah, I'd say probably eight, nine years ago, you know. So he's a teenager, probably. He was young. He was very, uh, he, was, he was thinner than he is now. He wasn't as uh, muscular. Um, just looked like a little boy, you know, and, a, and a same attitude, same energy. He'd come in the gym and, uh, um, you know, Abel Cullum, you familiar with him? Um, he, he fought out of California, um, real, real good MMA fighter. And he has a brother um, that moved here. He's a little black belt. Um, he's really, really tough in Jeremiah Cullum. And, uh, you know, like, there were times Bryce would come to the gym, and I'd tap him out with whatever I wanted to, and he'd always ask me how it happened and keep training, never had an ego about it. Jeremiah Cullum would tap him, like, a million times, and um, he would seek us out and train all the time. And then just sometime around, like, five years ago, it it just switched, and you just weren't tapping Bryce anymore. And then, you know, over the past five years, he's become uh, a world-class grappler. And uh, it's... It's it's a lot to take in. He's he's a, a very intelligent grappler, a very very intelligent grappler, and uh, he's very innovative. You know, people think like jujitsu was invented by black belts, and it was invented by purple belts, like blue and purple belts figuring stuff out. And Bryce is putting stuff together and doing things that uh, are just absolutely amazing and different than traditional jujitsu, different than catch wrestling. Um, it's, it's it's what he's doing. He's developing these sequences, and just I, I love seeing him on the mat in the in the in the cage because you get to see it kind of like you know the gym is one thing, but then all of a sudden you see him shutting people down uh, at the UFC level, and it's a great thing to see. Yeah, and that's something you were talking about earlier. Why do you think? Why is he so successful initiating this grappling style? Because you don't see it a lot anymore. Uh, well, he, you know, there's a, there's a lot of factors to that. One, um, he's a very eclectic guy, you know, like he believes in himself. He, he believes he can beat anybody and, uh, um, he's not scared of anybody. So when he goes to fight, he's not holding back. He's, he's taking the chances. He's, he's taking, he's spending the energy, pushing the pace and taking the shots because deep down he believes that he's going to beat the person. So, if you believe that, why wouldn't you um, put yourself out there? That's like something Marcelo said that always stuck with me. He wasn't scared to lose. He believed in his game. He wasn't scared to lose. And Bryce um, doesn't appear to be scared to lose. He believes he's going to win, and he puts himself out there to do it. Um, 
and that's not something most people have. Like you, you've got to be kind of an eclectic guy, uh, have a certain personality type for that to be uh, the case. And he has that personality type. You, you, another aspect. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, another aspect to that question is the fact that he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to get hit in the head unnecessarily. Like you know, he he's a tough guy. Like he, I, you know, he'll take. He's been punched in fights, and you know he doesn't. He doesn't. Like, he'll take a punch just fine. He doesn't have a weak chin or anything. But he doesn't want to just play rock 'em sock 'em. You know, he respects his brain. He respects his body. And so, if if you look at a fight that way, it's much less trauma if you're Khabibin people. And so he's out there Khabibin people. Yeah, but why do you? I mean, you were just talking about this earlier in the interview. It seems like, especially the American fighters, there's a lot less of them that can get the takedown and keep it. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, Bryce is able to execute that, but you're seeing it less and less. Yeah. Credit to Bryce because, I mean, I, I do teach mat wrestling, you know, spiral rides, leg rides, wrist control, hand control over the wrist, things of that nature. Um, but his brain, his fight IQ, he is he is taking you down into control points and into progressions, whereas other fighters are playing checkers, and they're taking you down, and then they're going to figure it out. Some ground to pound, we'll see what you do, I don't know. You know what I mean? You cage walk, I try to do a mat return if you get up um but 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 bryce is all like i'll tell you like like this you memorize a phone number in threes and twos that's how the brain works like 501 there's three eight two eight seven you know there's two twos Mm -hmm. that's how the brain works right most fighters throw a jab cross some will throw a jab cross hook right um bryce isn't thinking in twos and threes Bryce's and fours, fives, and sixes. And uh, that's why he's able to take these people down and control them because he's, he's already four or five steps ahead and they're thinking in twos and threes. And that's a real thing. Like, that's a, you know, you shoot, I sprawl, I peek out. I shoot, you sprawl, I peek out. Okay. You know, Bryce shoots, you sprawl, he peeks out. You step over to mount him. He's already coming between your legs, back up on a single, thinking about, running the pipe and uh or or you know driving into you he is on four or five and he loses people there and drowns them so you think it's more important like uh people that are intelligence is more important in grappling than maybe uh your athletic ability i wouldn't say that because he's 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 incredibly athletic i think if he had my my lungs and my body he wouldn't be bryce mitchell He'd be much better than I am, I'm sure, but he wouldn't be Bryce Mitchell. Um, he has both. but uh, And it's not just intelligence. It's like a weird thing. Like, like I tell people, like, you don't want a genius as a fighter because they'll overanalyze, overthink things. You know, they'll see everything. You want somebody who's smart enough to – to follow directions and do what they believe in, but not overthink it, you know? And uh, so it, it's not just intelligence. Like, it's definitely intelligence in the, in, 
in the fight game, but it's really, you know, he's such an enigma. It's really hard, you know, to use words to describe him because there's so many layers to him. But uh, I will say that he he believes in himself. He doesn't he doesn't really do classes. He comes in and drills stuff on his own. Um, but he's very coachable. It's such a weird dynamic. Um, he'll do anything I ask him to do, but uh, he won't come in and do warm ups and do what everybody else is doing. He he'll grab somebody who's not a super high level guy at all, you know and then put them in positions and have them uh, resist. And he'll just he'll just live role play different scenarios and find what works for him, and then he'll do them. And a lot of the stuff that he starts doing naturally, they're, they're things that exist in, the, in, in other martial arts like wrestling, judo, sambo, whatever. And he figures it out. Uh, he figures all that stuff out on his own. Um, like, it would be easy for me to say, oh, man, like, oh, he's a prodigy. He's trained with other people, but he's a prodigy of mine. And that just that just wouldn't be accurate. Um, he, he's a prodigy in and of himself. So he doesn't do any, like, us stuff now? He just does his own thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he comes into the gym. He drills on his own. He uh, grapples with people. Now, he'll, you know, we do pads. He has another, you know, he has a boxing coach that he works with outside of my gym or our gym. Um, but he comes in, he does his own thing. And then, uh, you know, I'll say, okay, like we're going to do this conditioning today because we're six weeks out of the fight. Or right now we don't have a fight book. So we have like a certain pad routine we do to, uh, to develop some attributes in him. And so he'll do whatever it is I ask him to do. But as far as like coming in and hitting the jiu-jitsu class, he'll come in and he'll grab somebody, he'll go and he'll work on the stuff he wants to work on, and then he'll come in and he'll start rolling with everybody. And that's that's what's working for him. So it'd be, it'd be very easy to try to box him in and say, no, everybody else does it this way, you're not special, fucking do it this way. But uh, he, he is special. He is working, you know. He is studying film. And uh, so you you have to give him a long leash, um, but make no mistake about it, he's not a prima donna. And he will if I come over and I say, hey, like the other day he was working against the wall on some takedowns, and we were doing uh, triangles from side control, a very unique, like you know, you're giving up position for the submission thing. But it was something that fit really well into a position that he plays. And so, hey, come here, I want you to do this round. You know, like, I want you to join my class and do this. He came over. He did the reps just like I asked him. The round was over, and then he went back and went went back to what he was doing, and then he came back and rolled. Kind of now, do you, have, do you have, have any other, like, uh, students or people that we don't know about that might be coming along in a similar fashion to him? No, I don't. I don't have anybody uh, coming up in a similar fashion than him. May first, TJ Brown's fighting in the UFC. Uh, he's one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, who's had an extremely tough career, but is uh, much better than some of the the bad luck he's had. I mean, he's in the UFC, but uh, so he's, he's obviously very good. He's amazing, but you know, he's a different kind of fighter. You know, he's.
talk about him and say, you know what, like, I want to do that. Like, I want to ignore my coach and we're not, not to say he's ignoring me, but like, I want to kind of do it my way. Make no mistake. Like he, he did classes, you know what I mean? Like he, he did classes in the beginning. Um, but you know, he's a black belt in jujitsu now. And he, he, uh, uh, is a very, you know, he wrestles at a division one level, but, um, he's, you know, he's done that in the UFC, but he does, you know, I've seen him wrestle division one guys. He's, he's, he wrestles at a D one level. And, uh, so he's, he's at a place where he knows what's best for him. And he also knows to trust his, uh, his coaches and corner men. And he, uh, he does that. And, and part of that trust is us trusting his process as well. And, um, we're not, we're not changing it because it's working. But when he comes in and does his own thing, do other people say, well, I want to do my own thing? Do you get any of that? Some, yeah, I, th- I think we do get some of that. Not because of him. I think it's the nature of some MMA guys. They're just not Bryce. They just don't have the aptitude that he has, the ability to see things that he sees, the, to be as experimental as he is, um, to have his physical attributes, you know? <laughs> He's built like a gorilla, and uh, he's strong as an ox. He's incredibly strong. You know, when he fought his UFC debut against Tyler Diamond, who's an absolute fucking savage, you know he, you know what he walked in that cage at? 146 pounds, maybe 147. Fighting 145. You know, he didn't cut any weight for that fight. He was, he was so outsized, you know, and still, uh, and still was able to pull out a tough fight. Uh, in that fight, and when he fought Bobby Moffat, when they got out of the cage, they weighed them both. Bobby was shredded. Bryce looked kind of soft, and Bobby was uh, over ten pounds bigger than him when they walked out of the cage. And now, now does Bryce come from like a? Uh, is he like a? His personal life? Did he grow up like a? Was he a farming guy or? No, you know, some of these no, guys are he, naturally strong. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this. When I started training with Bryce, there was nothing about him physically that stood out to me. And there was nothing about him that made me say, this kid's going to be the uh, future champion of the welterweight division. I didn't think he sucked by any means, but I mean, I, I train with, we, we have a big gym. We have a lot of athletes. He was just another kid that was pretty good. Um, but he, he turned into one. You know, he grew up in a rural area. Um, but you know, he grew up, his dad wasn't in his life and, uh, he just, he just loves the country type stuff and he goes out and does it and he figures it out on his own. You know, he does a lot of things in the least efficient way possible, but he's out there doing it and learning it, uh, on the fly. He's just a doer. And, uh, so that's how he's doing it, but it's not this farm strength thing. It's not, I don't know. I just don't remember him being that strong, Todd. And then all of a sudden now, like, if he gets his hands around you, you're his, you know, and, and that's that he somehow, maybe he just, maybe he just squeezed really hard every time he engaged his arms and legs and he developed his strength that way, you know, because he doesn't really like, like he, he's not very strict about lifting weights. It's not from the, it's not from uh, the weight room for sure. So, you know, what do you think as far as, uh, I mean, I know I don't want to put any opponents out there, but is, has the UFC like looking at anybody or do you guys even focus on anybody or you just wait until they, they give you somebody? 
He will. So, so we we look at people, and by we, I mean mostly his manager will be like, "Hey, like, you know, like, like we wanted Feely, and Feely ended up calling him out, you know." Um, but we looked at Feely as like kind of in that gatekeeper role, um, which I'm a huge Feely fan. Studying his film, I became a fan of him. And then after the fight with Bryce, I became an even bigger fan of his. But we went at the Feely fight, and then it presented itself, and it was like, oh, this is perfect. Um, so we're, we're, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we're not looking at the path of least resistance kind of fights. You know, we're, we're looking at people that we think match up well for Bryce. Uh, but we don't call anybody out, and we don't call the shots with the UFC. Um, the UFC normally calls uh, uh, his manager with with an opponent, um, and Bryce always says yes. Bryce, Bryce, Bryce doesn't. Uh, he doesn't in the gym, whatever. Like he's not looking for any one person. He's he'll fight whoever. You know, it's our job to try to manage his career the best way possible. It's really his, it's really his manager's job. But um, his manager is really good at communicating with me and with his corner man uh, Willie. Um, and we, we got we have a really good synergy. Um, his 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 manager's name is Matt Weevil, and I only really work with two managers, Jason House and Matt Weevil, and I love them both. They're both amazing. Um, they're both amazing at what they do. Um, and there was not another better manager than than Jason House. I think Jason House is an amazing manager, but Matt Weevil is the best manager for Bryce Mitchell, without a doubt. Like. Matt Weevil was his manager early in his career, and he knows how to work with Bryce because Bryce is, uh, he is not uh, a company man. He's not uh, going to be anything other than himself. He's going to do what he wants to do. He takes six months between fights, and that's what he's going to do. They offer, like, oh, hey, you know, like when I fought the UFC, I was, you know, and I was, I wasn't there very long. I did three fights, but I did whatever the hell they wanted me to do. You know, if they wanted, you know, like I, I was, I was a company man. I would kiss ass. I, you know, I wanted to be there. That's not Bryce. You know, Bryce is Bryce. He just happens to be the man right now coming up as a featherweight in the UFC, but he is, he can be difficult to work with if, you know, most people will just say yes. Bryce might say no. So it takes a certain kind of manager to be able to, to, to deal with him. And his manager does an absolutely fantastic job of that. He deserves a lot of credit. And Bryce deserves a lot of credit for, now, what's for his being reception real. Been like? What's his reception been like in Arkansas? You know, because I know he's been really kind of pro-Arkansas in his uh, oh, speeches and things like a, that. Man, he, he's so good for... Uh, for the state he's he's a real one and people people know that you know he is he's a real guy and um they they love him man everybody loves him here he gets a lot of support locally um and and it gives the fighters coming out of arkansas a lot of hope to go like you know what like you are doing it tj brown is doing it um like we're you know, we don't have to think we're missing out by not being uh, in Vegas or California, you know, or Florida. Like, we're right here in Arkansas, and we're training hard, and we're, you know, our sprawls are just as good as, as you know, their sprawls and our double legs and our wrist control and our cage work or, you know, whatever it might be. Our, you know, we, we, we have these things that we do here just as well as anywhere else, and he, 
um, him being so vocal about it is really good for the fight community. And then the state itself, uh, I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him. Um, so he, he's, he's loved here. He'll, he'll be royalty, you know. He'll, he's probably going to be the champion of the featherweight division. And, uh, you know, I, I think he'll always be Bryce Mitchell, you know, here in Arkansas. That's a tough division, you know. Like Jesus, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, so you you think he stacks up with everybody really well? I mean, his style is so unique. Like we were talking about before, you don't really see a lot of guys that initiate the ground as well as he does. Outside the Dagestani's, of course. Yeah, outside of the Dagestani's, there there there's so many of them that are that are very Bryce like. Um, uh. You know, of course I'm going to say that. It's like, you know, and, and, and I, I believe it. I'm a very objective person. I'm, I'm very, uh, I don't blindly love my students. I, I see things for what they are. Uh, my my partner, Matt Hamilton, is like like loyal, like a dog, you know. Like, he, he, he loves his fighters and thinks they're invincible. And that's a great quality um, to have. Uh, I don't have that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm harder on the people that I love than I am on anybody else. And I'm, having said all that, Bryce can, beat, uh, Bryce can be the champion today in the UFC. Um, his skill set is there. That, he, he, but, you know, Todd, it's MMA. Like, right. you know, it would, I would be a fool to say he's going to be the champion. Or, you know, he, there was like Andre Feely, he, he dominated that fight. Feely put up a hell of a fight, but did, did you see that one? Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Feely? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fight took place where Bryce wanted it to take place, and um, Feely was the bigger guy from the bigger camp with way more experience, and it was a close fight, but it was a very decisive fight. Um, Feely was always in it, but there was a knee Feely threw that landed, but not flush. That, that knee not landing, that's the MMA god's sprinkle in their fairy dust you know that could have landed um and it happens to a lot of fighters so you know he could be derailed at any point but he hasn't been and he's improved every fight um so and i've seen him in the gym you know i've seen him with world-class grapplers i've seen him uh you know with active division one wrestlers and his striking is so good todd his striking is so good he just and that's why he's able to get in on everybody is because his, you know, his striking is that good and that, that creates his opportunities to get in. Um, that coupled with his Dagestani kind of style, uh, he, a lot of these featherweights aren't wrestling heavy. Right. You know, they're not wrestling I'd heavy. I'd say that of UC fights in general. We just watched Agreed. Miocic in, uh, in Ghana, right? Miocic kind of gave up on wrestling the one time it didn't work. And, uh, yeah, I, and, and I was like that mentally, and I think a lot of people are, but uh, but Bryce isn't. He'll, he believes in himself the way Marcelo Garcia believed in himself, and he'll shoot and shoot and shoot, and he'll just assume you'll break before he does. But he'll he's going to get you down. If it's not this time, it's next time. If it's not this round, it's next round. But you're going to have to wrestle Bryce. And uh, a lot of guys have the conditioning for uh, five rounds. But they have the conditioning for, for 2020, 2021, five rounds. You know, what we're seeing in MMA now. A lot of these guys that can go five rounds, they won't be able to go five rounds with Bryce. And that was something that impressed me with Andre Feely. 
that he was able to he was able to fight Bryce with so much tenacity the whole time because Bryce gave him the business. And um, it wasn't until the third round that Feely stopped trying to get up and kind of like stayed on his back. And I don't think Feely broke. I, I just think he figured it's going to have to be a submission, like an armbar or triangle from the guard. Um, but uh, it's a different kind of fight when you're fighting a guy pushing you up against the fence and chain wrestling. Ensign Inouye just joined. Man, I am a huge fan. That's a that's super cool. Uh, Andre Benke, you as well, uh, uh, a huge fan. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys deserve so much respect. Sorry to hijack Jack that, but they, those are those. You know, I'm 39 years old. I was a kid in college training MMA, um, and it was so mysterious back then, Todd. You know, it's like. The scouting report was what somebody posted on the underground, you know? So, uh, right, right, right. yeah, it's cool, you know? Now it's so different. Like, I can, you know, you can really, like, scout somebody with, with the internet. These guys were heroes uh, back then. They were, uh, they were mysteries, you know? Yeah, Anson has a fighter now. I don't know if you've seen him in a Ryzen, Siyoshi Sadario, who used to be a, he was a, sumo guy but he's he lost all his sumo weight and oh, i think oh cool uh, is he is he three and oh now anson or anson hmm. said he's kind of like a heavyweight kid yamamoto kind of the similar you know and uh, oh really nice so yeah he's, he's getting to be pretty popular in Ryzen, you know and uh when, so. when us old school guys get a you know when we get a prospect that's you know, that's athletic and has potential and listens, you know, it really brings us back to life. You know, it's really fun to work with good students. And, uh, you know, people like that are real blessings to, to trainers, you know, I mean, we spend most of our days teaching the fundamentals, the basics, but then you have the advanced basics, you know, and we have the heart of, uh, the heart of like what's going on in the transitions, you know, the moments in between the moments and it's neat, you know, if he's got a fighter like that or, you know, like I have two fighters like that right now that I love and uh, it's really nice. Um, it's true art because there's no money in it. It's true. Uh, it's true art to be able to share your knowledge and your experience with somebody who can digest it and then, and then build on that. Um, it's, it's, it's really nice. I, I appreciate being able to go to the UFC and, and be involved in those processes. Sometimes it's just, sometimes it's just like when, when Bryce was fighting his second fight against, uh, he fought, uh, Bobby Moffat from the MMA lab, a very tough, uh, very tough fighter, you know, and Bryce will throw a head kick, you know, like fairly often he was throwing head kicks and, and Bobby was a, a very conventional fighter and his hands were up you know then I remember like going into the second round and saying hey Bryce look the, the head kick's not there you know like stop throwing it it's a lot of energy and uh he threw one more and saw what I saw and then he didn't throw any more you know he's like okay and like just that's super simple you know but to be able to like know how important like that is in the fight like not to waste the energy throwing that and being on one leg for that long like throwing your leg all the way up into the air fruitlessly and bring it all the way back and to have to be able to see that and have a fighter 
like digest it in the fight and make that transition. Um, that's a some of the fighters you're watching as somebody who's been around a long time who are some of the fighters you study or prefer to watch um it was Damian Maya for a long time um the way that he utilized the half guard and he he had that wrestling mentality and I mean he like threw wrestlers around with takedowns um but he would even pull half guard and then utilize the half guard in such a way to get top position as you know um a path of least resistance. I studied him a lot. Um, uh, somebody who's super conventional, um, Jorge Masvidal, you know, like watching, like he's so fundamentally sound in his wrestling. He actually did very well with Maya on the ground um, or did the best of, of, of folks on the ground. Um, is somebody that I like to watch because I'm not a TJ Dillashaw, Dominic Cruz kind of flair that's not uh i don't have that kind of footwork and experience you know so i don't i don't you know and and and, and i've evolved outside of super conventional where you know we, we have a lot of ambidextrous stuff going on um with our striking but you know when you see somebody like masvidal with pressure or like a nate and nick diaz um kind of like the way they funnel people to throw straight shots so they can check hook and counter people you know like um I'm kind of rambling now. Yeah, you were asking what, like, who I'm studying. Um, I'm studying those guys. I'm I'm studying uh, uh, Khabib, um, the nuances of what he's doing on the ground. Not just the techniques, Todd, but the decision making. You know, the timing of the techniques. Right. That's that's a lot of it. You know, you got to cook a guy before you submit him. Um, you know, you put a hook in, you can chase the back and chase the neck. You can work a three-quarter Nelson and try to get into a Dars or a Japanese necktie. Those are, or, you know, rolling Kimuros. These are all, like, good techniques, but they're, uh, you know, they all come with a certain risk. But control is the, the name of the game. And if you control a guy, um, you're cooking them. And if you're cooking them, they're going to make mistakes. And then the submissions will come. Um, so, Khabib is a lot of people give him a hard time because he retired. He didn't have as many title defenses as other people, but as dominant as he was in the division um, against the other the number two, number three, number four people, um, it was a different level of dominance than I think uh, John Jones and GSP those guys had. So um, he Khabib's one for sure. So do you think Makachev had the same kind of success as him? <sighs> He very well could. Yeah. I mean, you, you know the game. He takes a flying knee in his next fight from an athlete, right. gets knocked out. He may never be the same after that. Um, so nothing's guaranteed. But uh, you're, you're, you're seeing their, uh, their, the, the striking of these, these guys um, surpassing the other guys as well. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You got guys that are, that if they can strike well, they're going to get in on the takedowns. And uh, that's a problem. It's one thing when you have like an early Khabib and you had a chance 
of uh, sticking and moving and beating him to the punch, um, like Aljo did. But uh, not Aljo. Uh, what's his name? Lost to uh, the real estate agent in New York, the UFC fighter. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Alaquinta. Alaquinta, yeah. Right. You know, that was like a good time. You know, like at that time, Khabib was beatable. But now, like, you know, he showed his boxing with, uh, you know, Poirier, you know, and, um, you know, you just have to be good enough to get get him to defense and get back to it. So, um, yeah, those, those Dagestanis are a real problem. And their mentality and their style of wrestling is so conducive to MMA. Um, I think you're going to see the, the athletes from Africa and the Dagestanis really take over for a while. Um, I think the best training for MMA is here in America, but uh, um, the Dagestanis are coming over um, with with you know a decade, decade and a half of fight sport experience. You can then go into AKA and training there. Like that's a problem. <laughs> that's a big problem. Right, right. It's a problem for the UFC too because if you have a bunch of Russian <laughs> champions that whose English sucks, like that's not they're, they're just not marketable. You only need two or three Russians, you know, as far as marketability is concerned. But that that will be a unique thing if, um, you know, you have a whole roster of champions that can't speak English or don't speak it very well. That's, that's a problem. And uh, so <clears throat> maybe as we're kind of – I know that you had a couple questions here, actually. I'll kind of – Kid Cannon TV was asking about – he was kind of asking a technical question. Leg, leg locks in MMA. He was saying, should they be used to sweep? Or, I mean, I, I know you can't like pigeonhole it into one thing, but that's Dude, what he's kind of. Oh, they're a hundred percent legit. They're a hundred percent legit. They just leg locks are not. They're not like wrestling. And what I mean by that is, as you chain wrestling, things get better. Okay, with leg locks, your first attempt is your best one. Your best one second attempt can be just as good after those two it starts turning into a shit show and you need to get off your ass you know and um so uh leg locks are legit man they and they can be used to sweep really well um uh tj brown fought in the contender series and got knocked on his ass was concussed went for a heel hook and was mature enough as the guy turned to not try to marry the heel hook and pray that it landed, and he wrestled to the top, and he ended up submitting his opponent later in the fight, and uh, and and you know, and, and securing a UFC contract with that maturity of using it for a sweep. And TJ doesn't have a great heel hook. It's, I mean, he knows how to do a heel hook, but it's not like a ma- like it's not his move. Like I know how to do an arm and guillotine, but it's not my move. Um, so you can definitely use it to sweep, but it's also uh, uh, and Kid Cannon runs the um, uh, Homegrown Fighter series on YouTube of Bryce Mitchell. It's gold. If you haven't seen it, Todd, YouTube Homegrown Fighter with Bryce Mitchell, you will absolutely love it, and you'll lose the rest of your evening. They're hilarious uh, little mini documentary, fifteen minute documentaries of Bryce um, and and some other people. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean. Leg locks are like anything else, you know? Like, if you go for an armbar from the mount and the guy ends up on top of you and beating your brakes, beating the brakes off you, and you're going to be like, oh, no, armbar's 
suck or whatever. It's like, nah, like, you know, they're good and bad. Depends on the person putting them on. But if you can break a guy's ankle, MMA or not, you know, like, that's a good submission. And, uh, again, if you get it from the bottom and they flee the ankle lock and use it to sweep, that's that's great as well. So it's, it's not one or the other by any means. Just knowing when to do one or the other, when to commit to the submission, which I consider it not a submission, when to commit to the break. Because if you can't break the ankle, then you don't need to be committing to it. When to commit to that as a sweep is really what it comes down to. Kid Cannon was asking about, I don't know if you saw this, but somebody lost a finger the other day. You I know, saw a picture. See that? A I guy saw. lost a finger in a fight? Yeah, I, I don't know how it happened. I saw a picture of it. It's gross. I guess he was asking what you thought about it. <laughs> he asked if you ever lost a finger in a fight. I think obviously you haven't. But. No. <laughs> That's gross, man. I hate those gross injuries, like when Silver broke his leg and, uh, like, that that sucks. Ugh. That's what I think about it. Now, you know, you mentioned a Brown, TJ Brown, I think it was. We didn't talk much about him, but how would you I mean, I know you talked about Bryce, maybe talk about a little bit about him and what what makes yeah, him T- unique or TJ's a much Yeah. Um TJ is a much more conventional fighter, uh, very, very high. He's a professional boxer. Um, his Muay Thai is, is very high level. His elbows in the clinch, his, his tie clinch, um, his sweeps off, uh, his, his ability to catch kicks. Um, he never wrestled in school. Bryce wrestled a few semesters in high school. TJ never did, but TJ wrestles at a very high level. And he's also a brown belt under me in jiu-jitsu. Uh, very conventional fighter. And he has had um, some really tough luck in fights. Um, but he has, uh, so he had a long career. He had like 27 fights before he broke into the UFC. Um, he was fighting Jordan Griffin and just dominating him all over the place and got caught with a sneaky guillotine um, from a position that he used to pass in most of his fights. Just, uh, you know, I mean, Jordan did what he does, and that's cool, but. Him and Jordan Griffin could fight 10 times, and TJ would beat Jordan 8 or 9 out of 10. But, you know, he lost that fight. His second UFC fight, um, he got cracked in the, sec- in, the, in the first minute of the first round and cracked his, uh, he fractured his orbit. He ends up losing the first two rounds, eats a bunch of calf kicks, comes back and wins the third round, puts on a great show, like coming forward, switched southpaw, and um, um, ended up, uh, getting a third fight in the UFC going 0-2, which you, you have to really show something to get that kind of uh, third chance in the UFC. So T- TJ embodies what it really means to be a fighter. Um, he has the heart, um, and he has the lungs to do it. He has the technique to do it. And all he needs is the MMA gods to just chill the fuck out, give him a chance, and let him fight. Um uh, but he he's a kid that came into my gym as a kid. Uh, he's been with us 10 years. He's learned. He's, he's, he's masterful in every position. He's very well-rounded. Um, but my favorite thing about him is, uh, you know, he got a girl pregnant young, and he's got a nine-year-old son. And um, he's the he's like an amazing dad. I get emotional. 
just just talking about it because because I'm a dad, you know. But uh, you know, he's he's a. Uh, Is that because you're close with your father? Close um, with my father. Um, we, we communicate. Um, I love my dad, um, but you know he he was he wasn't an all star dad. But uh, I had an all star mom, and uh, I th- I think a, a lot of. Uh, A lot of my emotion from that comes from uh, it comes from my love for him, and uh, and just just knowing like what just I just have a lot of respect for that, you know. Like he he puts the time in his career, and he also puts the uh, puts the the time into being a great dad, and. Uh, I value that. And, <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Um, but, uh, yeah. EJ, um, he deserves more, you know? He, uh, he's had the toughest of, uh, any MMA fighter. So, yeah, but he's an impressive fighter. He's really good. He's he's, he's one of Bryce's main training partners, um, and uh, just 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 a really really well. And uh, I think May first, I'm gonna um, uh, I'm gonna be betting on him for sure, and I'm excited to see him fight Kai uh, Kamaka from Hawaii. It's gonna be a good uh, good fight. Yeah, Kai Kamaka is his, yeah, his dad was fighting back in the day, too. Who's was Kai's? Yeah. Yeah, his his dad fought a few times. I don't know if you remember his, his father. Huh. Kai's What was his father's name? Yeah, what was his father's name? Kai Kamaka. Same, really? same name. No shit. I'll have to look him up. That's cool. Kai's a cool fighter. So, like, you know, Ronald John is, like, his uncle. You know, Ray Cooper, all those guys, they were all, like, a family. Huh. I didn't Ronald know that. John and Ray Cooper are married to Kai Kamaka's sisters. Hmm. So, Ronald John and Ray Cooper are, like, Kai Kamaka's family. Third. Yeah. I think he's the third guy. They're his uncles. That's fucking dope, man. That's like MMA royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Kai's yeah, a, so. tough, a tough fighter, man. That there's, there's, you, know, you always like to like, you know, they're from Hawaii, you know, that, that island culture of. That's cool.
like the Mexicans, you know, like are known for being fighters. And it's so it's twenty twenty one. So like, you know, I say things like that, and I think, oh man, someone's gonna get offended. But man, fuck it. Like the Mexican style boxing is a real thing, and uh, they're known for staying in the pocket. Right. Vincent said he'd like that you uh, are close with your students like that. He said that's kind of his style as well. Yeah. Well, when you have a small gym, you know, you marry your students, you know. Um, I never wanted to be uh, – that's not true. There was a time that I wanted to run a fight team, you know. And I, Matt Hamilton and I even bought a house that we were going to use as like a fighter house. But it, it didn't end up – uh, coming to fruition and um, I, I realized the way people most fighters treat their careers and treat their coaches and treat themselves that I I didn't want to deal with that I I don't want like a lot of a lot of coaches didn't have an MMA career themselves so they really, really enjoy piggybacking off of athletes and enjoy training them. And some of them, that's not the main motivation. I'm not, I'm not casting a big blanket over everybody, but a lot of people um, are, are, are getting the clout from their fighters and being part of that. But, you know, I was never a major fighter, but I did fight. I had 29 MMA fights as an extremely unathletic, dorky kid and ended up, you know, having a win in the UFC and having a win in Bellator. I did the best I could with what I had. Um, you know, I, I know who I am. Uh, so I have no interest in, like, athletes. I have no interest in winners. I, I have an interest in people. And uh, that's what I have for Bryce and TJ. I'm, I'm vested in men. I have fighters at my gym now that I won't corner. I won't spend my weekend to go corner them because I don't feel like they do. I don't feel like they live up to their potential. I've had fighters like uh, there's one named David Lindsay. You know, he did the best he could with what he had, and he was a dog, and he had some big wins. And uh, I would corner him anywhere because he did. The, he worked with what he had, and did the best he could with what he had at the time. And he was a dog. Um, but then I have other fighters that, uh, man, I just don't feel like they put the work in. And so I'm not going to take time away from my garden or hunting or my my, my wife. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Like, if I'm 39 years old, I'm halfway through my life, I'm, if I'm lucky, I will not go and corner you and spend my weekend sitting at a fucking shitty-ass MMA show with intermissions that are 10 minutes that end up being 45 minutes um listening to drunks yell you know i will i will only do that if i love you and i think that you are giving a hundred percent everybody else Because that's what us coaches do. We 
give such a large part of our life away to these fighters. And it's a lot of them switch camps all the time and they don't train like they should. Um, They don't listen to you. They don't respect you. They just use you, you know, at at the moment. And I, I, I won't do it. I, I won't do it. I watched a, and I'll tell you where that comes from. That comes from experience. And also, I watched a documentary one time with, with Joe Frazier, and he had a boxing gym in Chess PA, which is a, is, a, is a shithole. And it was close to where I grew up in Philadelphia, Ridley PA, which is also a shithole, but not near as bad as Chester. And, uh, dude, Joe Frazier is Joe fucking Frazier. Yeah. They're videoing him, you know, and he's in the gym. And they're kind of doing a documentary, and he goes upstairs to, like, the office or apartment upstairs, and he sits down, and he's kind of ashy. You know, he looks, you know, he's he just looks like an old man that that's not well taken care of. And uh, he's just talking like it's lunchtime. And, and Joe, is, he was a world champion, and he trained good fighters. And he opens up a paper sack, and he pulls out a can of Campbell's soup. And that was his lunch. And I watched that, and I, I knew at that moment that that wasn't going to be me. That wasn't going to be me. I wasn't going to chase these fighters around and give my whole life to them. Because they never come back and take care of the coaches. They go on to live their lives. And maybe they had five different coaches. They don't remember the person that brought them up. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I realized watching that, like, I was not going to be that person. Uh, uh, like the Kronk Gym, right? It's no longer a thing. Think about all the champions that came out of there. The millions of dollars that that gym produced. It doesn't take a whole lot of money to keep a gym running. Nobody came back and saved that gym. So coaches should be real selective with who they really invest their time in. You know, that's that's a real thing. And I, 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 I... that that's in the forefront of my mind on who I spend my time with. Now, you know, I appreciate you taking the time uh, as we're kind of winding down. Is there anything you kind of want to leave this interview with or something you might want to let people know or where they can follow you, those kind of things? Oh, hell, I don't care if anybody follows me. Um, I, uh, I just, I just want genuine, I, I just want people to be authentic and genuine. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about Bryce, that's something that's real, you know. Um, he, he rarely works out with his first coach. But his first coach, his name was uh, William McLaughlin, uh, uh, had, like, the worst management ever, was fighting, like, Jeff Bedard, uh, uh and, like, these guys coming out of Arkansas, you know. He's a machinist by day, had kids. He's, he's like, he had the toughest like management and and, uh, and, and and fight career. He was a really good fighter, though. And uh, that's the guy who pretty much raised Bryce and trained him and took him all over the place as an amateur fighting. Um, and, and he lives like almost two hours away now. But when, uh, when it's time to go to the UFC... Um, that's the guy in the corner. And uh, even though he's not in the camp, 
a whole lot. Like there's an emotional connection there, and it's 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 uh, they, it's just it's just authenticity. That's what's important to me. And uh, it's like when I was telling Bryce the other day, or I wasn't telling Bryce, I was talking about it, and Ben Bryce was there. It's like you know the corner man has. There's two parts of of working the corner. The the first the first part is the technical aspects of it. Like you got to read the landscape, you got to see what's going on, you got to give good advice at the right time. You got to know your fighter. You got to coach, but not overcoach. You got to instruct or not instruct. That's that's obvious, right? But the other aspect of a corner man is trust. And if the trust is there, they're gonna listen and do everything that that you you know, that you advise them to do. But if the trust isn't there, then there's going to be a hitch. So that's that's the important aspect of a corner, is that being competent, but also the trust. So anyways, the, the long and short of it is, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I run my gym, you know, I teach my classes, I, I work with just a couple fighters. But you know, at the end of the day, like you're just looking for those real connections, um, because life's too—it's—it's it's so short. Um, so that—that—that's what I'd leave it with. You know, like you're—you know, whatever it is people are doing, like find the right camp for you, find the right coach for you. You know, put the right people around you, but you're—you're you're looking for people that are truly genuine and authentic, not people trying to fit in or fake the funk or use you for clout or whatever like um you, you need that like genuine connection that's what i like like I, that's really it which is tough for coaching or houses coaching fuck the houses <laughs> <laughs> i uh uh most of my clients are awesome because they're they're most of the people i work with are members of uh you know some of the gyms that i'm uh, that i have an interest in um and uh, real estate can be a pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's nothing compared to coaching. Um, the, the the highs and lows of coaching are so much greater than the highs and lows of fighting. And you don't realize that until you become a coach, because when you're a fighter, you don't have the highs and lows of a coach of being a coach as a reference point. So as a fighter, the lowest low is losing a fight. Um, but then if you're a fighter like me or some of these other great fighters, the the when you know what it feels like to lose, that gut-wrenching feeling, when you know what it feels like to anticipate all the questions, comments, and people trying to be nice but, you know, like pep you up after a loss, like – when you have to go through the motions of all of that, um, like a coach knows what that loss is like and what it means to lose. So we have like, we don't have sympathy. We have empathy. And so we, we lose with you, you know? So the, uh, the, the coaching is, is, you know, you're all, you're, you're all in. It's, it's way tougher. And, and that's that's why I won't do it for everybody. I mean, I'll train anybody in jiu-jitsu because jiu-jitsu is one of those things that not everybody competes, and uh, most people aren't all in. You know, it's a it's a sport. It's a it's a way to better your life. But MMA is different. 
MMA is is a whole other ball game. If you're fighting MMA at a pro level, if you're trying to get through UFC, you know, you you really feel like you're living and dying with every fight. And uh, the coaches are living and dying with you, you know, if they care, if they're good coaches, if they're if they're really, really present and emotionally there. Well, I appreciate the time, Early. It's awesome to talk with you. I think it's great stuff, man. I really enjoyed your insight, and I uh, hope I can catch up with you again, maybe after one of Bryce's fights or whatever. Dude, I would. Uh, I'll, I'll come on anytime. I, I enjoy doing podcasts. I enjoy talking and sharing uh, uh, what's going on in, in my mind. I know I have a lot to offer in, in that realm. Um, but, dude, reach out to Matt Hamilton, too. Uh, I yeah, think I will, be for sure. Answer. Yeah, yeah. He, he's old school. He's a real one. Uh, I started training with him in 98, and uh, me and him have been through so much shit together, done so much, you know, so uh, he'll be a good one. All right, for sure, man. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for the invite. Super enjoyed seeing all the old school guys pop in and listen. Um, you've got a great little thing you're doing here. I didn't even know about it, really, but now I'm a fan, and I'm going to be going back and listening to a lot of your podcasts. I'll keep it coming. Don't worry. I got one. Oh, yeah, man. Perfect. All right. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. Yeah, take care, man. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. So I want you guys to check out my Instagram page, which is uh, the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. I've been doing a lot of stuff there, a lot of live interviews. So a lot of the podcasts you're listening to are some Instagram live interviews I've done. I'm sharing a lot of uh, just different content that maybe people aren't seeing on other pages, interviewing people that probably haven't been heard of in a lot of podcasts. So I'd like for other people to come and check it out and maybe follow me there. So. Again, it's uh, Instagram, the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. Thanks for listening to the show and uh, share it with someone if you like it and uh, take care.